All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. Hey, thank you guys for tuning in. Those that are going to catch the archives, I appreciate each and every last one of you. And again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you, right? And again, yes, we are Black Free Thinkers. But we are not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. I just got to make sure that we reiterate that and that you understand that going into the show today. So um, it's been a while since I've done a show, and, you know, I'm bringing it back. I'm going to be coming as much as I can twice, maybe even three times a week. You know, I just, y'all, I just ain't been motivated. You know, this corona thing really kind of just messed me up. You know, I had heart surgery in March. So, yeah, the heart surgery, you know, the corona, and just a number of other things. I mean, there have been more deaths in the family. I mean, it's just, it's been something. It's been something. That's all I can say. And But that's okay. I'm just happy that I'm still here. I'm happy I'm able to bring the show to you. As you can tell, I have a little bit of energy. How about that? And so, (laughs) you know, I'm getting back to my reading and all of that because, you know, I got several books that are in the queue. um, One book I would recommend to you guys is Afro-Pessimism by Frank Wilderson. Frank Wilderson, Afro-Pessimism. And I'm going to read that book, and we're going to talk about this. And, you know, another book that's coming out on the 14th, Mary L. Trump's book. That's Donald Trump's niece. And, yeah, I pre-ordered it on Audible, but some kind of way it got canceled. I don't know what's going on. Well, it was supposed to be released on the 28th, and I think they they brought the date up to the 14th. Well, anyway, even if it's released on the 14th, guess who's going to be at home enjoying the meal, listening to this book on the damn bowls? I mean, you know, it has to be dynamic for me to put it on there so I can hear it out loud as opposed to my headphones. So, I'm looking forward to that book. You know, I'm not necessarily telling you guys to go and buy the book by Mary L. Trump. I'm just saying I'm going to enjoy it. And I think you can share out Audible books. So once I figure out how to do that, if you all want to borrow the book, I'll be more than happy to share it with you. So anyway, today's show is entitled Nothing Has Changed, right? So I said, please join us as we discuss how nothing has changed in many of these communities. They shift or regroup. Beware of the people who claim that things are changing and that we should wait and have, quote, unquote, faith that things are going to get better. They've been telling us that same story for over 400 years. Don't fall for the tricks, right? And so, you know, it's a lot that I want to cover. And because, you know, today's show is a bit of an impromptu show, um, you know, we're just going to kind of spitball it and put it out there and, and talk about what's happening right now. So, you know, I want to talk about the corona. And we have Lori with us today. Hey, Lori, say hi and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Lori Wellman. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I am a black free thinker. And um, I'm actually really anxious to get into this with Kim. We've got a lot to discuss, especially regarding corona. Right, right. And anything else? Um, that's what I'm gonna say for now. I'm gonna wait till we get into it, because you know, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have I'm gonna, I'm gonna have things to say. So, all right now, all right now. So yeah. 
it's it's a lot to talk about. You know, something that's happening with the corona right now. Um, you know, I was just talking to Lori about this, how they're doing pathology reports or, you know, postmortem reports on or autopsies on the people who have passed away from the corona and they're getting a lot of interesting information from what they're diagnosing. And one thing I need for you all to understand is that it doesn't just affect the respiratory system. And there are several different strains that are out there. So I want you all to keep that in mind. And, and But in addition to that, you know, I've been going out a little bit more lately. And when I say going out more, it doesn't mean that I'm interacting with people because even when I go into stores, I write out a list. I know exactly what I'm going in there for. And I only interact with the people that work there when I don't feel like walking all over the store to find what I want. No, take me to it, you know, but I'm seeing a lot of people out here without the mask and especially some white people. And it's, I, you know, part of me thinks that it's unfortunate because they're, they're playing into that Trump GOP um, um, false narrative. Some of them, you know, that, that it'd be okay. And that hurt, you know, immunity type of thing there. And then in addition to that, you know, some of them have made it a political statement. How they've turned coronavirus into a political issue, I don't know. But, you know, I saw a young black man out, you know, he worked at one of the grocery stores I went to. And I asked him, I stopped my car and rolled the window down. And I asked him, I said, do you have a mask? And he was like, what? I said, do you have a mask? And he was like, yes. And then he went to his pocket and he pulled it out. He said, it's just too hot to wear it right now. And I said, yeah, you may want to rethink that. And I said, I was just making sure because otherwise I have some extra mask and I'm, I was going to give you one. And he was like, thank you, ma'am, and all of that. But, you know, um, the corona is not a black or brown disease or disorder. You know, they're trying to make us the face of it, but that's that's BS. So, Lori. You know, you and yes. I talk about these people out here not wearing masks and not social distancing. You know, um, care to ch- um, share a story about what you've experienced with these people not wearing masks or social distancing? Oh, yes, yes. Let's get into that. <laughs> I have lots of stories. Um, I will start with when the corona first hit. So we're looking at like late February. Okay, when when people really started becoming aware of the coronavirus, um, I am an immunocompromised person, so um, I take no chances at all. I will do everything humanly possible to to protect myself. So I was continuing to work, and um, um, my little part time job is in the grocery store, and I'm just kind of walking around, and and you know when I would just randomly walk up to people and ask them why they weren't wearing a mask. Now, mind you, masks were not mandatory at that time. They were suggested. But all the reasons were given why they were suggested. For me, that was enough. They really didn't have to suggest it. They said, wear a mask. Damn it, I was wearing a mask. So um, when I would question people as to why they weren't uh, wearing masks, and I will be specific, I was only questioning black people because I wanted to know you know, what their thoughts on and why they weren't wearing the mask. And my most common answer, the most common answer that I received was, I don't need no mask, I don't need no gloves, I don't need no hand sanitizer because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Lord. Yeah, that, 
that part. Really, you're covered in the blood. All righty. Well, you know, um, in a month when you're on a ventilator, I want you to tell me how that's working out for you. Mm. Because, and even when I tried to educate them, and I was still learning, I, and I'm still learning. I, I actually research this virus every single day because new things are always cropping up, and I want to be in the know. I want to be aware of what I'm dealing with. So but whatever information I had garnered to that point, I would try to share it with them and explain to them why it was important. This was before. This was also during the time when, for some reason, black folks had this crazy idea in their head that they were immune to it, simply because it wasn't really showing up in Africa. And a lot of the cases that had been reported in the United States, they were showing white faces. They weren't showing black people. So for some reason... Black folks had this idea that, oh, I'm good. I can't get the corona. Corona don't help, don't hurt black people. Um, are you human? Then, yes, you are vulnerable to this. But as I was trying to give the information, impart this wisdom onto these obviously ignorant to the corona people, they weren't trying to hear it. So eventually I just, you know, like, uh, just... I, I'm gonna save that energy. I don't really even need to stress myself out like that. They're they're going. They're not gonna believe until it happens to them or someone that they know and love. Right. Um, other experiences that I've had now that Corona is well established in our country. Um, a lot of the states have opened. All the states have opened up, and but there are also a lot of municipalities and localities that are implementing mandatory mask mandates. Um. What I find interesting is that prior to the mandate, I actually saw more people wearing masks than I do now. And this is very confusing to me because the numbers aren't decreasing. The, the curve has not flattened. In fact, it's climbing. It's elevating. And you're seeing more and more outbreaks and, and, and rising of positive infections all across the country in some areas double or triple what they were in the beginning. So what in your mind makes you think that it's okay not to wear a mask? And the general answer that I get from white people, I don't get this answer from black people, is that how it impedes their freedom. You know, it is their their American constitutional right to not have to wear a mask. Yeah, you know what? You sure right about that. It is. It's also your American constitutional right to die from this disease because um, your ignorant self didn't want to wear a mask. So do you, boo. I'm good with that. But <laughs> what, that has, what that has also done for me personally is it has, it has opened my eyes even more to not leaving my house not interacting with these people. I'm like you, Kim. I only go out when I absolutely have to. I get in, I get out, I come home. Because I'm not trying to be around that. I, I want my life. I love my life. And I just only wish that other people love theirs as well, especially black people. Um, I see with black folks in regards to the corona that there's a lot of ignorance. And I don't mean that in a negative way like they're ignorant stupid people but that they don't have the true information, you know, and mm-hmm. the knowledge about what this virus is about and what it can, 
has and is doing to people like us. And I understand that this is not a black and brown disease, and I understand why the black and brown communities have suffered the most from it, because it is basically all boils down to systemic racism exactly. and, and, and lack of access to everything that the ruling class has, education, jobs, money, health insurance, that's not Medicaid or free clinics, you know, which things is, of that nature. Which so are I, still biased in and of itself. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, those have been my experiences, and, I, and unfortunately I have to say they have not been positive ones. It, it, it makes me weep even more for my people. Yeah, and, you know, and it's a shame because, you know, they have not been educating any of these communities, but especially the black and brown community when those numbers started coming up, how we were being disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19. And and then that's when you started seeing the uh, the daily press briefings, you know, how they stopped. And then that's when you started seeing these protesters going out talking about open up our state, open up the country, open up the economy. And, and you know, and these are the same all lives matter people who don't mind letting grandma and grandpa die. You know, if we got exactly. a little grandma and grandpa, then it's okay. And if I was grandma and grandpa and I heard them talking about that, I wouldn't leave them a dime, not one penny. <laughs> okay, you don't care if I die? I don't care if you starve. How about that? You know, and, and we're seeing that. And, you know, the, the press briefings have started back up most recently. But even now, they're not very informative. But with all of the money, you know, that they're being – that are being stipulated for this, why do they not have people out in the community passing out flyers? And it doesn't have to be at the time of day when everybody is up, you know, they can get one of them special passes so they won't be harassed by the popo so that they can go mm-hmm. out and put these on people's doorknobs, put them in, you know, um, on car windshields, giving them some information. Why aren't there a lot of social media ads playing telling people about, coronavirus and how to protect yourself. And you know what I say coming out of all of this and watching this, especially the Trump rallies in which wearing masks, you know, were optional. That was your choice. They were going to pass them out to whoever wanted them, but otherwise you didn't have to wear them and they were not social distancing, right? So how about um, Herman Cain? I think he got the corona. I think he got coronavirus. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he attended one of those um, as well, him and some of his family members, and didn't nobody have a mask on. So at this point, you know, since they want to be all quote unquote American about this, let's do it the American way. The people who are out there and not wearing masks, and especially if they know that they have corona, but they're asymptomatic, but they insist on going around people, and as well as these, like, you know, even with the Trump administration, when you were registering to go to those rallies, you had to click okay to a you know a disclaimer that they put up there saying that you would not sue the Trump campaign if you got corona. I don't feel that that should be valid. You should be able to go in and sue these people that are holding these rallies and these conferences as well as church services 
Now, how more American can you get if you sue your church or one of these businesses and you caught corona from being in their business or their church or at their rally? I feel that if you're going to Americanize this, let's Americanize it the whole damn way. And suing every damn body is the American way. Ain't that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, it is. That is the American way. You don't like it? Sue me. Okay. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to sue your ass. Um, I I totally agree. And, you know, I I can be petty because a lot of times I I have petty feelings about the things that you just talked about. Um, (laughs) And and, and so I'm going to be petty Betty here for just a moment and say, you know, I tell people, you don't want to wear a mask? Don't. Go right ahead. We'll just let Darwin take over. Darwin got this. I'm not worried about it. And just, you know, and I, I take comfort in knowing that because you don't want to wear a mask and you don't want to social distance and you don't want to take this uh, pandemic seriously, that I just know there's going to be a, jump, a bunch of job openings soon. Hmm. And that's petty, but it's the truth. There's going to be a bunch of job openings soon, for the, at least for the businesses that are able to survive. <laughs> because exactly. I know that there are a lot of businesses that have not survived, but, you know, oh, yeah, there's going to be help wanted signs everywhere. If there aren't, actually, I'm already seeing the up one time. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the thing. They're trying to normalize the coronavirus because it came out of the White House about how they're trying to get people to basically become um, numb to the number of coronavirus cases and the number of deaths. They just want them to, you know, get to a point where it doesn't bother them. So it's normalized uh-huh. and think, and that's the thing, you know, besides, it, you know, them trying to paint the narrative that it's a black and brown disease, you know, they also try to blame the victims, which, you know, primarily they're pointing at black and brown people because we have pre-existing diseases like, you know, diabetes or, you know, hypertension and all of those things. But you want to talk about those pre-existing conditions that we have, but you don't want to talk about the pre-existing conditions that cause those problems for us. You don't want to talk about, you know, the violence that's been inflicted on our communities because we've had less than mediocre medical, you know, attention. As a matter of fact, the medical industry in and of itself is extremely biased. You know, you don't want to talk about how, you know, you do, the grocery stores, we have food deserts. So people don't always have access to healthy food. And once they started realizing that th- they needed to eat healthier, the price of those foods double and triple. It used to be you could go to somewhere like, let's say, McDonald's when they first started selling salads. They're like 59 mm-hmm. cents and 99 cents. Now they're the most expensive thing on that menu. Exactly. Yeah. I remember yeah. being able to go into the store and buy a head of cauliflower for 39 cents. Try mm-hmm. to buy a head of cauliflower now less than $4. A head of cauliflower. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I totally agree. And then also, just to, to uh, piggyback on what you were saying in regards to, like, health care, um, another reason that the black and brown communities, specifically the black community, um, I believe, are going through what we're going through is is for the lack of trust for the for the medical community. We don't trust doctors. You know, it's it's actually it's both sides. You've got some. I know that there are some black people that, you know, their doctor is like Jesus. 
their words are gospel. They're, if the doctor said it, it must be true. The doctor said this is what I need to do, then this is what I need to do or not do because the right. doctor said it without thinking about the fact that they are practicing medicine. They are not experts. Practicing, yes, that's the operative word. Learned. Exactly. They are practicing medicine. And you and we as as black people have been their guinea pigs since slavery. Exactly. And we've been their guinea pigs since slavery, and they test things on us to see what's going to happen. You know, right. I mean, do, you know, everybody knows about Tuskegee. And if you don't, I encourage you to look up the Tuskegee experiment. But pretty much everybody knows about Tuskegee. Um, there's a situation, I believe it's in South Africa, where they had all these women believing that they were getting some sort of special medication. I don't remember exactly what it was, but what they were mm-hmm. actually doing was sterilizing them. And that happened in America, too. Okay, there you have it. So, you know, that's my point. That there's, That's also probably another component of why we are suffering, because a lot of us don't have trust for doctors to even exactly. go and be seen, to be seen about. Exactly. We've learned to be distrustful of the medical system, and it is a very well-earned distrust. And yes. it's just, you know, I just sit back and I just look at these things. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I go in and I kind of dictate to my doctors because I don't have time for you to guess and experiment. Look, I've been writing down what I've been experiencing for the last year or the last several months or the last several weeks. This is what I think it is with my research, blah, blah, blah. I need you to do this test, and I have it all written out. And I say, and you can run any other test you want. And, you know, I've had Indian, well, um, some doctors, one specific Indian woman that I fired, and she was like, well, no, that's expensive. And I'm like, I have the Cadillac plan, run it. Well, I don't think that's what's wrong with you. Okay, tell me what's wrong with me. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to help you get to that point. And she wouldn't do it, so she got fired. And I went and found another right. Indian doctor, Indian woman doctor. She ran the test, and I was correct. I sent that other doctor, I sent her this long old note. She didn't have anything to say after that. And it was another doctor in that system that I was saying. And I sent the note to her and she responded that she was sorry to hear that I, you know, had lupus and that was the issue. And I'm at the point now I've diagnosed everything that's been wrong with me that my doctors, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my regular doctors, they don't even question it. They'll still run some tests because they got to cover their ass too. But I have been dead spot on, you know, because I don't have time to play. I don't have time for us to guess what the hell is wrong. And, you know, and I will stop taking the medicine in a heartbeat. When you first give it to me and I'll give it a chance and it don't work, nope, I'm not taking this. And I tell the doctor why I'm not taking it and what's happening there. But not everybody has that luxury, you know. And, exactly. and exactly. Right. And that's why they fought so hard in Chicago to get a trauma unit on the south side because they were, you know, turning out a lot of people that were, you know, and in, in, they were being shot and, and had car accidents, and they were sending them over to another hospital, which was like 30, 45 minutes away, and don't let there be traffic, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, promises that had been made to us, oh, well, you, you receive adequate medical care. You get the same treatment everyone else gets. That's not true. 
And even now, you know, and it doesn't matter if you have a catalyte plan or you're in a walk-in free clinic, you should get the same type of service that somebody that has a damn black card and have one of these concierge insurance, you know, policies. You should get the same mm-hmm. service that they get. And so, you know, again, they like to experiment on us because even with this 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 um, vaccine that they call themselves coming up for coming up with for the corona, there, you know, there were articles in which they were talking about, you know, running this vaccine in Africa and basically experimenting on the Africans. And there was a lot of pushback from that. And, you know, I'm immune compromised as well. I've talked about that a number of times. And you know what? I'm not really sure about the vaccine. I'm not quite sure me and my doctor are going to have a good conversation. But at this point, I don't really trust any of the things that we are being promised in this country, you know, because they've lied. And, and yes, it says on paper that they treat everybody the same, but that's not usually how the practice works out. They don't treat that's us That's not how it works out. You're right. That's not how it works out. And it's awful disheartening to know that um, the way these a lot of these medical students are being taught, because I've actually seen excerpts from textbooks where it completely downgrades and diminishes the experiences that black, black patients may have in, compared to, in comparison to a white patient. I mean, I've literally seen text it came from a medical textbook that said that black people don't feel the same level of pain as other races. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to treat us the same way. We may not require the same pain medication and treatment as a white patient. And this is, this is being taught. This yes. is what they're coming out of medical school believing. Exactly. You know, so let me just say that for anyone listening, any black or brown person, specifically black people, because that's my focus and I have no shame in my game, okay, um, advocate for yourself. Don't just automatically trust and believe everything that your doctor is telling you. I'm not saying that your doctors are lying to you. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you know, give them the side eye. Collect the information that they've given you and research it yourself. Or if you already have an idea of what might be going on with you or if you are fully cognizant and aware of your symptoms, research it before you go to the doctor. So you are walking in armed with information in hand to be able to share with them about what you have found and what you've researched and then collaborate with them on your care. And, see, that's what I believe medical care should be. It should be a collaboration between doctor and patient, not just taking what the doctor says, you know, just firsthand and not questioning or disbelieving anything that they're saying. You have to advocate for yourself. And if you can't advocate for yourself for whatever reason, try to find someone who can go and advocate for you. Exactly. And and do not be afraid to get a second and or third opinion. If you need to, right? There is nothing wrong right. with that, you know. And and I'm you know there is a lot of reasons right now. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, baby. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm going through a situation right now in my own personal life with my partner and her mom, um, who's in her mid to late seventies, late seventies, I believe. Um, and I believe that she's being over medicated. 
Um, and this situation has been going on for a couple of years, and I keep telling her family, they're over-medicating your mother. There's no reason that she should be behaving this way or be going through these things. And you all need to find out what medication she's taking, why they're giving them to her, if she actually needs them, and if necessary, change her doctor. Of course, I told them to change her doctor a long time ago. But they didn't want to change it because this is the same doctor that she's been going to for the last 20 years. Okay, so what's that supposed to mean to me? Is he keeping up with medical um, advancements? Is he taking, um, I forget what they call it, when you go to, you know, re-up your your knowledge on, I can't think of the word right now. Um, Oh, they have to go and recertify and, and take updated classes and all of those things. Right, right. And a lot of doctors do not do that. A lot of doctors and it should do be not mandatory. Exactly. It should be mandatory. And I don't know if it is, but I'm thinking it's not because there have been too many times when I've walked into a doctor's office, uh, print out the hand with information to discuss with them about my condition because I also have lupus like you. Um, and having the doctor look at me with a doodle look on his face because he'd never heard of it. Like, seriously? So you've been a rheumatologist for 35 years, and you haven't kept up with technology and medical information in regards to autoimmune diseases, specifically this one. Right. I don't care about the other ones because this is the one that I have, okay? But you're trying to tell me you've never heard of these treatments, you know, or these processes? And no, he has not. So that's why, I, that's again, I will stress it's very important for you to advocate for yourself and know about what's going on with you and don't just assume that the doctor knows everything and is going to, you know, do do some miracle for you. Sometimes you got to do it for yourself, as Kim has proven. Right. And, you know, and, and that happens. And don't be afraid to switch doctors. Do not be afraid to switch doctors. But, again, you know, with the systemic racism that, you know, permeates the medical, you know, establishment, you know, um, you know, you can barely, some of these doctors, you can barely get them to touch you. You know, they'll check your eyes, they'll listen to your heart, they'll take your blood pressure, and you come in there telling them all these ailments, and, you know, oh, my heart is beating irregularly, and my you know, my fingers are going numb, and my my knees, and my hips, and you know, the headaches, and sometimes I can't see properly. Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Here, I'm going to give you a prescription for some, you know, ibuprofen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and they really, you know, they just push you on out the door because it's basically turned into a factory. They have five, right. ten minutes, maybe 15 minutes allotted per patient, and they're trying to get them out the door, especially if you're on an HMO. They're trying to get you in and out of the door. And so, you know, again, a lot of racism behind that, a lot of that that we need to discuss and all of those things. But, you know, these are some of the things that are happening in the black community and why some people's ailments, you know, go on. And sometimes it gets to the point where nothing can be done when, you know, they they could have dealt with the situation, you may have been able to get it under control, but they kept telling you that everything was fine or the other part of it, the poverty stance of it. Okay, yes, I have health insurance, but I can't afford the co-pays. I can't afford to pay for the medicine. 
I can't afford exactly. to do any of these things. So some of them are of the mindset, why should I go to the doctor when I can't afford to do any of these things? Or they have to choose between getting their medicine or buying food. So they start, you know, taking their medicine every other day. And, you know, just so they can make it stretch out. You know, it's a shame. And that poverty in and of itself is violence. There is no reason why people in this country should be poor. But in addition to that, there is no reason why everybody in this country cannot, you know, go to the doctor, cannot afford their medication, cannot afford Mm -hmm. a home to live in. you got to remember some of these very same people, some of them are homeless. You understand? And so, you know, trying to find a doctor to go to and, you know, you know, with the system that they have in now, you know, basically, which is the epic system. Now, these different doctor's offices and hospitals can talk to each other because there is, you know, there is a main um, mainframe in which all the information is kept and they're able to share it out to each other. So you can't go to 50 doctors under your same name and get 50 prescriptions for opioids because they'll know right. the shopping doctors and all of that. However, that was not always the case. But even now, like I said, you know, a lot of them do not treat these people, and then they do overprescribe them some medications like the opioids. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. interesting because the opioid addiction, which, you know, has been painted, the narrative has been painted with white faces, so they want to find a way to help them to send them to rehab But when the problem was, you know, crack cocaine and the narrative was black and brown people, particularly black people, you know, put them in jail, take their children away, all of these things. And, you know, again, you have these people telling us to have faith that things are going to get better, but you've been giving us the same old fetch and step for 400 years. And I'm glad to see that things are changing now because these young people are out here protesting. You know, and they're putting it out here and they're showing folks and these young white kids are out here protesting, too. And even some of the older ones, you know, um, on MSNBC the other day, you know, there was a parent that apologized to their child for not listening when their child was trying to tell them about the racism and everything that's happened and that was happening in this country. And now that, you know, we don't have these distractions like um, sports. You know, even to a certain degree, you know, church services, you know, going out to the club and being able to go to the grocery store, to all the restaurants and things of that nature, going out on these play dates. Now you're at home, you're forced to be in a house, and you're forced to do whatever. And most people are watching the news, and they're seeing this, and they are being, some of them are being forced to wake up. And and, exactly. and that's what we're seeing right now, you know. But I'm saying don't fall for the tricks because you got some of these people out here that are saying, well, things are getting better. No, the hell they ain't. And that's why I'm looking at some of these Democrats, and I'm like, what the hell? You know, but I'm also looking at, you know, you know again, I'm going to say something about the atheist community. You know, I got screenshots the other day from one of these black atheist groups, you know, one of the ones that's most recognized. And how they had the, you know, the the Trump supporters in there talking about that. And I'm like, with everything that we've gone through and everything that's happening in this country, and you see how divisive he is, and you're talking Mm -hmm. about you're going to vote for Trump. And then, you know, and especially if you're a black atheist, really? 
And there's a bunch of black um, Trumpers in the black atheist community, you know, and I just sit back because it's like you all ain't learned. Now, while I say Donald Trump is the the president that America deserves, um, he's hurting a lot of people. And I, you know, I voted for Hillary and I didn't want to. And I don't want to vote for Joe Biden, but I'm saying that I'm going to, but I can't make no damn promises, you know. But the way that I see it is we have to force them to make these changes. And if Biden gets in office, if he happens to win, and, you know, Jim Crow Joe shows his head and and the progressives or the so-called progressives are not able to, you know, force change or or convince him to to make certain changes, then, you know, I, you know, I myself, I'm I'm going to be out there saying, why should we vote for another Democrat ever? Because the Democrats are just as liable and culpable as as the Republicans in the conditions of the black community with the state sanctioned violence. They are some Mm -hmm. of the ones that crafted some of the legislation and policies that are in place that disenfranchise our communities. And I don't want people to forget about that. I mean, if you're going to, you know, be distracted, go and learn some history. Go and learn how, you know, how with some of these organizations earlier today, we were talking, you know, we had a pot, a webcast, and we were talking about a number of different issues, but I brought up, you know, the moral majority and a lot of these Christian-based right-wing organizations and how they really started because of basically segregation. They did not want their children going to school with black children and how mm-hmm. they knew that, you know, being openly racist like that would be looked down upon and shunned because it's okay if you're racist if you're being polite and civil and smiling about it. But they didn't they knew that they could not actually build up their coalition if they if the people knew that it was steeped in racism. So they found some wedge issues like abortion and and feminism. And and let me see here, abortion, feminism, and LGBTQ issues. So they put those in front of everyone and said, this is what we're protesting for. But I need you to pay attention to the ones that are out there um, happy about some of the decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court of the United States. They just passed a decision stating that public money, public funds, funding can go to Christian and charter schools. And you need to be yes. concerned about that because a lot of this happened because of Liberty University and how racist, openly racist they were. And and basically they got angry when the federal government took some of the money away. And that is how a lot of this started. You know, wow. so, yeah, isn't that something? And when you yeah, come out and you ask that. them about these things, yeah. And you tell people about these things, they're looking at you like you've lost your mind. And, I mean, even before those people started up with their campaigns and their particular movements, if you go all the way back, there have been a number of times, in, in particularly in the South, in which they have closed down the public schools because they did not want the black children going to school with the white children. And in some cases, they did not want the black children educated. 
So that's when they started some of these, you know, Christian schools and these private schools, and they were able to divert public funds to those schools while the black children suffered. You know, they suffered. You know, I have have been reading the book. I've been reading the book White Rage. Mm -hmm. And I've. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent book. I just started reading it. I think I'm in the, on the third chapter now. But um, in that, they were talking about Reconstruction and how Reconstruction started and stopped so quickly and the reasons why. And they did talk specifically about um, how once once black people were the, the, the freed men, once the Freedmen Bureau was, uh, formed and all of the things that the Freedmen Bureau was supposed to do for these newly freed slaves um, and how black people hopped on it and ran with it. They built their communities, they built stores, they built churches, they built schools, they built all kinds of stuff. And they were also, and the Freedmen's, um, the Freedmen's Council was also responsible for uh, supplying them with the things that they needed to do these things. Well, white communities got pissed off because there were all these schools that were being built for these black children, yet nothing was being done for the poor whites, and they felt that was unfair. And so they had, you know, riots and gangs that would go and burn down the schools because they did not want these nigger kids, and that's just basically how they felt. They didn't feel like these nigger kids should be able to read or should be able to learn more than than their white children, or they didn't think they should be able to read or learn at all. So they went and they burned down these schools, and they, you know, we all know uh, what all the different black communities that were thriving and bustling and how they were destroyed by the jealousy of racist whites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, but I'm, my point was specifically about the school, because that's what you were talking about about how, oh, my God, the racism, it just boggles my mind, that they did not want black children to have anything over the white children because the black children were second-class, substandard, subhuman, and didn't deserve right. to do that. And if this was, a, this was a white country, it was for white people and white people only, and you all are just chattel, right? <laughs> basically. Right. That's basically what it is, you know, and you're mm-hmm. absolutely right in that assessment, you know, because, again, um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you were talking about education, and, you know, I'm thinking about Brown versus the Board of Education, right? Mm-hmm. I tell mm-hmm. everybody justice has a price. Justice is expensive, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know and, and basically that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and, you know, at first it was separate but equal, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, then it got to the point where they were forced to integrate these schools. But, you know, what I want people to understand is all of that came with a price tag. And so you had, you know, people like um, Thurgood Marshall that argued in front of the Supreme Court talking about the mm-hmm. injustice of the the inadequate education that black children were receiving. And, you know, that's even to this day. That's even to this day, you know, that 
you, you know, the way that the black children are being educated or miseducated, you go to some of these cities and you go to some of the schools in, in these neighborhoods, and they're using 10, 15, 20-year-old books. It's overcrowded. You got 50 kids in a class of one teacher. You have, you know, the pool doesn't work. The gym is broke down. The, you know, the little theater, none of that is working. They've taken art and music out of the schools. I mean, it's, it's just horrible. And, you know, we were talking earlier today, and the most educated group of people in this country are black women. But if you go mm-hmm. and you look at academia, especially at university and college level, you know, and how adjunct professors are paid and how many of them are on food stamps, getting public aid, you know, have, you know, these gig jobs and just a number of things. And, and that's not they're, – they're educating the future of this country. But yet they can barely mm-hmm. afford any food for themselves to eat. And so, you know, yes. I'm saying all of that to say this, is that we really need to be mindful and to pay attention and look at the racism even within that. Because right now they're telling a lot of these foreign students, either you find some college that you can transfer to and you can show up to classes, or you go home and do it online from your home, wherever your home happens to be. But in addition Mm -hmm. to that, you have a lot of these, like I said, there are a lot of black women and men that work in academia. And what happens is with some of these colleges opening back up, they're telling, you know, their black professors and their administrators and, and staff, they're saying that you have to show up to work. You have to be there. And, yes, corona is real. You're going to have to find somewhere to put your child, your black children, and, and you know, and risk exposing them to the corona because we need you on this campus. We need you to help make our business, you know, run, to help make our business look good even if it's at the risk of you and your child's life. So how does that you know, work? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just uh, read an article probably 30 minutes ago about that damn Betsy DeVos um, mm-hmm. saying that it is her intention to force schools in this country to open. Yes. And she, she's, she's going to force them to open, force them to open full-time, she wants five-day-a-week classes, no social distancing, no precautions, because, quote-unquote, our children are suffering. She totally disagrees with distance learning. Her position on that is that distance learning was a failure, that the teachers didn't know what to do or how to do it, and a lot of them just gave up. And so the kids did not spend their last two or three months of school learning anything which is why she wants to force the schools to to open again and, you know, coronavirus be damned. Now, and we all know that the people who are going to suffer the most from this are the, are the children who go to public schools who are primarily what colors? Right. <laughs> you know, they don't give two flying whatevers about us or, or our lives. They just want to, and, and this is all, I believe, this is all, you know, geared towards the push to keep Trump in office. Exactly. What I did, I opened up the country. I, I got businesses back. The economy is booming, and, now, and our kids are back in school, and the parents can go to work. 
what good is all that going? First of all, the parents are afraid to go back to work. The parents are afraid to go to send their children back to school because, you know, whether they want to believe or not, a lot of people understand how serious this virus is. There are a lot of people who don't, but there are a lot of people who do, and these are the same people that I'm not going back to my job or I'm not sending my child back to school. You're telling me there's not going to be any social distancing. There's not going to be any kind of precautions taken whatsoever, and I have to have my child there five days a week for a full school day just because you have an agenda and you don't really give a damn about whether or not my child lives or dies or the teacher lives or dies or the administrators live or die. You just want the school back open. Right. Exactly. And it's all, I believe it's all, it all has to do with keeping that man in office. Exactly. And her and, and her keeping her job. Exactly. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, he's already reached out to some of these other countries, you know, Russia and China and, and, and what he was trying to do over there with, you know, Rudy Giuliani going out and talking to these different people. And, and it's just the whole thing is because of everything that he's doing and that he's done, you know, I again, he's another example of white people in this country, primarily white men, who in general are ungovernable. And I'm going to have to find that article and put it back out there again for people to understand that. But again, you know, 400 years of them playing these games and, you know, and tricking people and making false promises, because I'll say it again. You know, the Democrats are not necessarily any better than the Republicans. And the reason why I come down so hard on the Democrats, especially these moderate, liberal, progressive Democrats, is because, again, they know know the buzzwords. They know what to say. Mm -hmm. They understand the rhetoric. They can sit here and, and, you you know, wave their woke cards around saying, you know, yes, all of these things. But then they leave and, and microphones are off and the lights are down and they say, I don't want my kids going to school with these black children. You know, I don't want these black people living in my neighborhood. I don't want these black people in my social club. We don't want these black people coming to our conference or our conventions. We don't want these black people in our circle unless they are willing to be tokenized, you know, and, 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 and allow us to direct them and their organizations, and, and, and then go out and, and be, you know, our mascot, if you will, and, and say the talking right. points that, you know, we deem that are acceptable. And, you know, the whole thing is really interesting because, you know, I talk to people about this, I tell them about it, and, you know, and a lot of them have woken up. I've been thanked by several white people for me exposing the fact that, you know, in the atheist community, how the atheist community at large is dedicated to white supremacy and, and how they, you know, created a soft place to land for these alt writers, these white supremacists, these white nationalists. And, I mean, and the same thing goes to some of the black nationalists that are over in the atheist community again. You know, you know, they want white supremacy, but in black faith. And that's the reason why they get along. Oh, well, if these people are so bad, Kimberly, why is it that I get along with them and we have a lot in common and, and they believe the same things I believe? And I'm like, they have internalized racism. 
internalized internalized misogyny and that doesn't just mean men there are some black women that are highly patriarchal and very misogynistic you know and Mm -hmm. and I need you to understand that and I want people to listen and do not fall for some of the talking points that are out there in which they are saying that these negative attributes are directly linked to religion a lot of them have come into the atheist community and they still hold on to that racism, that sexism, that homophobia, that misogyny, and, and you know, the, the, the ableist, you know, type of behavior, all of that, you know, and they try to hide behind atheism and they also try to hide behind, um, you know, a lot of the black people that are in the atheist community, the ones that allow themselves to be used. And another tactic that they use is what's interesting is that, you know, they try to bring in all of these PhDs to the community to speak. Now, you know, I consider that another, um, another you know, stream of white supremacy. Why? Because why is it that black people have to be the most educated people in the room, overeducated in, in regards to whatever that's being talked about at that conference, and you want to bring them into the room because they speak your language, as you like to say. And, you know, for the most part, you know, some of these same people, you ask them some questions that's out of their subject matter expertise, and they're lost. But in addition to that, that's just another form of white supremacy, them enabling it even more when it's the activists and the organizers that are really out there doing the work. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the ones that are out there doing the damn fetching stuff for the for these white organizations. So that's not just the atheist community, that's the LGBTQ community, that's the white mainstream feminist community, you know, the um, mainstream, you know, um, you know, community that's dealing with disabilities, you know, and I can go on, you know, all of these, you know, even with the social justice community, social justice was created by black women primarily. So the black community and white people came in and co-opted it and appropriated the language and they found a way to commodify and capitalize off of it. And I, I've um, posted articles about how there's a lot of racism in the social justice community. So this is what they do, you know, and, and, and I try to explain that to people and show it to them. But like I said, I've had some white people thank me for opening their eyes to these things and showing them what's happening. Because, you know, you have some of these folks out here, you have certain black people that are being paid you know, pennies on a dollar, but they're being paid nevertheless to go out there and to whitewash a lot of these things. So, you know, you got some of them out here, you know, I just found out, you know, somebody is out here trying to talk about racism and social justice, whereas five years ago they were angry if someone tagged them in a social justice, you know, type of post or asked them about racism and got angry because I was talking about racism and talking about these things here. And they were just angry because, you know, they didn't want to answer those questions. But then, you know, now they see that they can capitalize off of it, right? And, And they found a way to commodify it. And I just find it really interesting and, you know, funny in my own way that now you're out here talking about racism, even though, you know, again, a lot of the information that you're espousing, you've stolen it from a lot of other people. You don't understand it. 
and let somebody ask you a question, you're sitting there and you're stuttering because I've seen it myself because you don't <laughs> care and you don't understand it. And I know this. Right? And that's why I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know why anybody would listen to this fool. Okay? You know, and so, again, don't fall for the trick. Because, I mean, you know, I'll give you uh, an example that's a little bit off, but it's not necessarily. Marijuana is being legalized in a number of states across this country. Now, in the state of Illinois, where I am, you know, I don't live in Chicago anymore, but I still live in Illinois. And what's happening is there's this program that's called social equity. So what they're trying to do with the dispensaries and the people that want the infusion license and the grower's license and et cetera and et cetera, basically, you know, they're implementing social equity. So people that have lived in communities that have been disproportionately affected by black people being arrested and incarcerated because of marijuana, because of drug charges, um, you know, and, and, and just incarceration in general, they're trying to give them the opportunity to be a part of this marijuana industry and reap the benefits from it. As a matter of fact, in Evanston, Illinois, they are calling it a reparations program, right? And, and, and it's called social equity. The black people are, you know, and brown people are the social equity. So they're forcing these white business people that want to go into the marijuana business, you know, be it medical or recreation, own a dispensary or what have you, transportation, um, they're forcing them to have some black and brown partners. So what happened, you know, one of the more recent stories, because I can tell you several, there was this, you know, cooperative of white business people, and they had this one black guy, and they wanted him to be the figurehead and and help them to get their social equity points so that they could open up their dispensaries and all of these different things. And he he would have absolutely no say-so and no power, but they would pay him so that, you know, he can be the face and so that they can open up and establish their businesses. And the same thing happened when they started having these um, contracts and giving out these contracts for the government. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I talk about EEOC and, and affirmative action, but it's benefited white women more than anyone else because as long as they had a white woman who was considered a minority in their business, like their wives or their siblings or whoever it may be, then they were able to get some of those contracts. That was happening then, and the same thing is happening now. And so I just wanted to bring it to, you know, everybody's attention. And I'm going to give the call-in number. If you want to call into the show, the telephone number is 310-982-4273. And again, that's three eight. I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. Oh, here we go. We're gonna start again. The telephone number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And if you want to speak, you have to press one so I can see that your hand is in the air. So you know, again, you know, um, you know, a lot of shit ain't changed. Ain't nothing changed. 
It's the same game that's being played. They just got different names. Instead of it happening in St. Louis, it may be happening in New Orleans or what have you. And, you know, you know, they want us to believe, especially when you're talking to some of these libertarians and they're doublespeak because they believe that everybody is stupid but them, right? And they say, well, in the Constitution, it says all men are created equal. So all men are created equal, the end. And I'm like, oh, no, the Constitution says that, but that is not how things are, you know, and, 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 and that's not how it's being enacted. Institutional systemic racism is very real. And, you know, and then also, like I said, be very, you know, be very attentive and discerning when you're listening to certain black people, black and brown and other people of color that are out here that are very much so white adjacent because they will get out here and try to try to say that racism is about one group of people not liking another group of people or one person not liking another person. And they've tried to simplify and dumb it down to the point that they're making it about somebody's feelings being hurt. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's about the, the systems, the laws, and the policies that have been put on the books from the very inception in this damn country when they decided to bring over, you know, um, slaves or enslaved people. And, you know, if you go back and you read some of the writings of some of the founders of this country, they've written that they've implemented and put together systems that will basically block black and brown people, people of color, out of the system so that they will never be able to catch up. They will never be able to, you know, enjoy, you know, the the full benefits, you know, the full, you know, um, pursuit of happiness in this country. And that is still being implemented to this day. And you have people right now that are saying that we are in a new phase of reconstruction. Now, I agree with that to a certain degree as far as, you know, the ability for this to turn into a new reconstruction. And, you know, and I used to say a new civil rights movement, but the civil rights movement has started since, you know, it started when the first slave tried to escape the plantation and even to this day. So, you know, I just believe that it's happening in phases. But the thing is, is that, you know, again, you have a lot of people pinning their hopes on the Democrats and Joe Biden. And I'm sorry, I just really don't believe that a lot of change is going to come forth. But, you know, I'm going to give them a chance. But the minute Jim Crow Joe says some old crazy shit outside of you ain't black if you vote for Trump, and some of the other things that he said that got everybody up in an uproar, you know, we'll see. You know, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not voting for Trump, and I'm not telling anybody to vote for Trump. Not at all. And don't fall for that Kanye thing, you know, because, again, Kanye likes attention just as much as Trump does. So, you know, again, this is trying to, you know, basically take, what's happening today off of the news and, and, and switch the subject, change the subject, you know, right. and Trump wants the news and everything to be centered on him. If you've noticed, they have not been talking about these protests, which still have been going on. As a matter of fact, you got people driving into the protesters and killing them and harming them. You know, in the within the past three, four days, I think about six people have been hit and a couple of them have died. And it may be even more than that. I just haven't been keeping up with the news as much as I should have. 
but it's still happening. People are still out here protesting. People are still being lynched. As a matter of fact, there was a video from Bloomington, Indiana, in which there was a group of white people that attacked this black man, and they were saying, somebody go get the noose. And it was a white man that stopped it and that videotaped it and, you know, and, and, and had that evidence. And they had the mayor of Bloomington, Indiana, on MSNBC last night talking about what happened and how he knew the young man that was attacked. He knew him, and he had known him for five years. And, you know, so he was talking again, going into that respectability politics, talking about how that young man was upstanding. But whether it was, you know, that young man who's upstanding in a community of, you know, good repute and all of those things, and he's been to my house for a mimosa and, a, and some potato salad with raisins and carrots in it, so he's a friend of mine, <laughs> you know, um, whether it's him or Ray Ray, on the block whose pants are falling down because he likes wearing them low. It doesn't matter. It does not matter if it's, it's you know, it, it, you should not have to have a sparkling clean background in order to get respect, in order for your life exactly. to matter. You know, and exactly. it has not changed. A lot of black people have been railroaded. I mean, there have been videos in which, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina, the police officers there. Now, mind you, these were new police officers that got caught doing this, and I think they had been on the force for like three days, you know, we'll say a week. And they were caught because they didn't know how to use their equipment in their cars, but they were talking about, you know, black people, and they were talking about how they hoped that martial law was implemented so that they could go out and start slaughtering black people. And I don't understand why people think things have changed. You know, because one of the arguments that I had with the people in this white humanist group that I went to visit, and they kind of kicked me out, (laughs) and they kind (laughs) of kicked me out, uh, was because they were like, well, lynchings aren't that bad anymore. It's not that many of them happening now. And I'm like, yes, there are. What do you think those videos are? That's just an electronic version of the lynchings because, you know, they used to cut off their genitals and take pictures and have a picnic and take the kids out. Now they can do that and enjoy that in the luxury of their own home and take screenshots and all of that stuff. You know, after George Floyd was killed, you had them, some of these white people having contests, you know, kneeling on somebody's neck, you know, and it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. So no, nothing has fucking changed. No, well, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. In fact, it's like it's like their their racist and ridiculous behavior has been amplified by right. the killing of George Floyd. Because it's like after that happened, and the whole country just basically exploded into protest. The whole world actually mm-hmm. exploded into protest. Days and just. For days afterwards, like every day, sometimes several times a day, I'm seeing um, posts and articles about all of these Karens continuously weaponizing the police against black people. And it's like, and they know what's going on. These people, they they, they know exactly what's happening in this country, but they don't care. They still, they feel, it seems like something, and I don't know what it was or what it, I, I can't figure out what it was, but, uh, other than Trump, I guess. Um, but something was empowering them 
to behave even more badly. You know, right. I have, and then and then all of a sudden, where are all these lynchings coming from? I mean, mm-hmm. how long has it been? I mean, honestly, how long has it been since you heard about a lynching? And then all of a sudden they have five, six, seven lynchings, but it's like six or seven that have happened, right. what, in less than a month? Exactly. In less exactly. than a month. Right. Exactly. And I with see the, we got a call with the here. black. Go, uh, go ahead, Lord. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, I was just no, no, go say ahead. This, no, no, uh, I want you to make your point, dear. Go ahead. You were making a okay. good point. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, at first I was asking myself when I'm seeing all this mess, like, when are they going to learn? Have they not learned? It's not that they haven't learned. I believe they have. I just think they don't care. They don't care. They are white, and white is right, and this is their country. It's a white, Judeo-Christian, patriarchal mm-hmm. society, and they have every right to do whatever the hell they want to do to whomever the hell they want to do it to, and we ain't got nothing to say about it. And then they have the nerve to look shocked and surprised, and they feel victimized when they're called out on it or arrested or, you know, whatever the consequence is for their behavior. But they continue to do it. And it has continued to be be downplayed in the media, um, specifically talking about the black NASCAR driver. When they were right. trying, when they were making excuses about the noose that was in his locker area or wherever, you know, his garage area, I don't know what it was, but about the noose that was hanging there, and they downplayed it by saying, oh, well, that's been hanging there. Seriously? And that's well, if it's been to, okay, hanging so there, what? somebody should have taken it down a while ago. Exactly, exactly. And for me, that made it even worse. Okay, so if it actually has been hanging there for a while, why? Who hung it and why? What was the And also, why is Trump there? demanding an apology from that young man? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's so, get this I mean, caller in. Yes, oh, ma'am. No, sorry about hey, that. Y'all. I was just going to pull this caller in because I know Jacob. I just added Jacob. But let's call this caller from 404. They've been waiting for a while. Um, welcome to the show. May we ask your name and what's your question or comment? Oh, this is Nash. What's going on, y'all? Hey, Bernard. Nash. But oh, Nash. Hi, Nash. How are you? <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I can speak up I'm a little cool. bit, honey. I'm having a hard time here. <laughs> yeah, it's Nash like Najee. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But no, y- y'all having a good conversation, man. The the one thing I would, I guess, add to the conversation would be this. Their behavior and how they feel about things are never the most important part. It, it, mainly the most important part is always what our behavior is. Basically, in America, every movement you've ever seen or every successful change you've seen in America has been what? An outside group or a smaller group pushing the rest of America to what? accept new terms. And the issue with America is always this. They want to figure out how they can accept the new terms while keeping the status quo as far as economically, socially, and every other, you know, outcome you could use for a human being, they want to keep status quo while giving the facade of what? More inclusion or as if they've changed. So 
the issue always becomes what is our behavior. So right now, what what did we see in this flashpoint after the killing of George Floyd? You saw people have solidarity in a way that you haven't seen in a long time. You saw people willing to put their bodies on the line, people starting to organize. So our behavior started pushing this nation. So the main thing is what? We continue to do so. But, of course, as you laid out, we got a lot of obstacles in the way of that. Uh, People are easily diverted and uh, their attention spans aren't that long. Uh, Some people are really satisfied with symbolic gestures or, you know, words on corporate ledger, (laughs) words on corporate paper where they say, hey, we're against racism. And it's like they get a cookie for that and everybody acts like that's something to celebrate. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing, man, but, this, you know, this is the long black radical tradition. And you spoke about the liberal folks in Biden and company. That's a whole nother ball. You know what I mean? That's a whole nother ball of wax. Because it sounds like you're to the point to where you're willing to vote down ballot. Uh, I think Eddie Glade and a couple, uh, a couple other people are now, you know, advocating for that. But at a certain point, it, it just becomes this. If you're a so-called progressive, how many, how many elections are you going to decide to vote for the lesser of two evils? How many elections are you going to let liberals tell you that if you keep asking for stuff, then nobody will ever get elected? And you can't do everything. You can only do the, just always minimizing and scared to do real, actual progressive things. So I'm to the point now where, hey, man, I'm going non-ballot. And I'm going down ballot. And after it's over and they say, hey, you guys are responsible for them getting in again. I'm going to say, yep, I guess I am. Now, do y'all want to talk about this progressive agenda or not? <laughs> because at a certain mm-hmm. point, man, <laughs> you just get tired of, uh, you know, the mealy mouth liberal nonsense. But either way, man, this is a good show, really informative, like what y'all doing. Man. Excellent. Well, thank you for the call. You know, thank you for the comment there. And, I do believe we should have a third and fourth party. I really do believe that. And, you know, and I've said a long time ago, you know, how the Democrats, you know, that some people should do what the Tea Party did. And when they took over the Republicans, that should happen to the Democratic Party. But if that doesn't happen, start these other parties. But I know Jacob kind of sees it a little bit differently. Jacob, did you want to expound on that? Um. Uh, about about expanding the Democratic Party, yeah, I do think that. Uh, I mean, take it over. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my whole thing. I don't really see it differently in that regard. I mean, I'm like take right. it over. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I just you know I, since I've been in the party and since you know I've been on the executive committee, I kind of have an idea how to do it. I've seen it done on a local level. So I just you know I've seen the mistakes and I've seen how to do it and this is actually the, the time to do it um, it's a presidential election year that's when you select all the officers and uh, presidents on down so and if you come into a lot of DC I mean these DNCs with um, say 500 members or 150 members I'll just take the protesters go down there and register up hey you can take it then on the next level, you can go ahead and take the uh, state party too, state chairmanship too, and start getting some stuff done. So I mean that's the way I see it. I mean I'm more of like the nuts and bolts guy about how to do it and get some real progressive change going on. Yeah, because well, when well, I was I asking Black Lives Matter Chicago, 
I kept telling them that they needed to run people for aldermen and commissioner seats in Chicago, you know, and I mean, not only in Chicago, but just all throughout the country. I feel that, you know, because that was the direction that, you know, the Black Panthers was going in. They were getting ready to start running people for office. And, you know, when I went to the Black Panther um, anniversary conference, you know, Elaine Brown talked about that extensively, about, you yeah, know, how yeah, we have to seize the power. Uh, no, matter of fact, if, if you, you don't seize the power, you just... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. I was going to say... It, <laughs> If you get an interview with Bobby Seale, that's the only thing he's going to talk to you about. Like, it'll it'll get really long with that, and that's and that's good conversation. Uh, the Chicago BLM, Anita Alvarez, getting rid of her after uh, those shootings that she tried oh, to cover up. Oh yeah, we got up. rid that's of her. That's how Kim Fox got yeah, in there. Yeah, that's a big yeah, that's a big accomplishment. People don't talk about enough because they try to act like these groups haven't done anything electorally. But ultimately, you know, it comes down to this: Can you have a party? represent working class folks and also mm-hmm. Wall Street slash Silicon Valley. Can that party serve two no. masters? And I, I make the statement no. So I mean No, you can't. That that just has oh, to yeah, be well, addressed. In addition to, you know, getting rid of Anita Alvarez, they also worked with other community groups and got reparations for the black people that were being beaten and railroaded into jail sentences in Chicago. And that's the reason why I tell people, look at Chicago as an example on how they got reparations, and they should be using that all across this country. But I think Jacob was about to make a comment there. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's just the whole thing is interesting. And but you know again I believe that they feel as though if once they open back up the country and the economy and get the sports back on TV and people can go to church five seven days a week and do all of these things I believe they feel that people will be lulled back to sleep and we can't afford to let that happen and so you know now that I'm going to be doing the show again you know two maybe three times a week I am going to specifically start talking about, you know, some of the different protests that are still happening in the country. Um, Talk about the people that are being killed, and I know I'm going to focus a lot on black women and girls, because that's not being amplified enough, you know, but I'm going to talk about the black men and boys that are also, you know, being harmed, you know, in this country and killed and, and incarcerated without cause, because, you know, it's starting to come out more and more how some of these police officers have planet evidence on people and and you know um, again we need to even talk about what happened down in Atlanta when they started having those stick outs or the call outs and how they weren't answering dispatch when they were being dispatched to go to a certain community and and then now they're trying to get rid of that um, what is it called immunity that um, civilian immunity I believe that's what it's called for police officers. Yeah. So if they get rid of that, now the police officers can be brought up on charges and there are a bunch of police officers that want to quit. And I'm like, so them telling you that you just can't go out and kill and beat up on black, brown, red, and yellow people, now you want to quit your job. So, I mean, I don't understand why this isn't being talked about more. 
Yeah. That tells you everything you they, need they, to know about it. Right there. Never do. They threaten to quit but never do. They love their salaries. They love the amount of power that unions can throw around within their city. And I'm a big union guy. I love unions. But the police union is a totally different thing because they essentially blackmail every city. They get the biggest chunk of the budget, and their threat to not go to work is basically what? You're trying to do harm to the citizens in order to say, hey, keep the status quo. Don't judge us. Don't think that you're going to hold us to account for anything that we do. Uh, you saw the mayor, uh, you know, immediately when this happened, she started backtracking and trying to figure out ways to uh, ingratiate the police into the conversation when, no, it was about accountability and the abuses that they do daily. Because we talk about the killings a lot, but we don't talk about the daily interaction, the harassment, the let me see your ID, uh, where are you going, uh, who are you, like the people they just rough up on the daily, the people who they escalate conversations with that normally would just be a traffic stop where you're just showing your license and insurance, where they escalate it to something else. Those are the things, you know, that, that are not talked about nowhere near enough. And you saw the mayor the other day. There was some shootings in Atlanta over the weekend, and the mayor comes out and basically throws a shot in the dark at BLM as if to say, well, see, uh, this ain't got nothing to do with the police. This is y'all black-on-black crime and some type of, you know, salute to the right-wingers who would never vote for her anyway. But, you know, you, you just watch this, and it's just it's so disappointing, man. But our mayor's name Keisha, so black folks was happy down here when she got elected. But here we are. <laughs> Neoliberal. Yeah, I mean, Negros. some big things. And see, people forget, like, the police departments are the big, the big supporters of a lot of these elected officials. Like, they're the ones that make or break a lot of these people. You know, them and the firemen's union and things like that, they're the make or break. So when a group like BLM comes into a town, what they need to do is start organizing, getting your people together, and block vote for whatever candidate that you want, you know, and then hold them accountable at the back end. Take over the party, hold them accountable, just hold them accountable. If they don't do what you want them to do, get them up out of there. I mean, that's what needs to happen, is work on building a coalition of different groups and different people that really want to see some real change. And, I mean, that's what you have to do. I mean, politics is a messy game. You know, politics is an ugly game. And, yeah, that, you know, and yes, it's distasteful and stuff. Sometimes the deals you got to cut. But that's what you got to do if you want, if you want, if you're serious about it. And if you, or if you just want to get out there and protest and feel good, that's fine and dandy. But the real work happens behind the scenes. You know, I could do more with a couple of phone calls than I could ever do getting out and protesting. You know, that's that's real. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand. You know, but yeah. the protests definitely are needed as oh, the protests order. help. They work. Yeah. Oh yeah, they help. They they work. I mean, like for example, um, there was a situation one time. There was this woman who was trying to get selected for a city commission after someone had to drop out. You know, I made three phone calls, and that woman didn't get on city commission. <laughs> and, you know, and nothing that? special about myself. It's not something special about myself. It's just knowing how to work the system. And I'm saying, yeah. like, in the amount of people we have and the amount of energy that we have, you know, 
you know, people actually care about getting my endorsement. You know, and it, we can have that. I mean, I'm not, I'm nothing special, and anybody can have this, this type of, this type of pull. But the way you have to do it is you have to put in the work, put in the time. And that's yeah, what I, I would suggest. I'll just, yeah, I'll just say this on my way out. Uh, thanks for letting me on. I really appreciate it. And the, I guess you could say the legislation that is the most close to permanent that has changed uh, the majority of black people's lives as far as their everyday living has been mm-hmm. legislation that's come because of protests and mass movements. It has not become oh, yeah. because of we got elected officials in and those elected officials pulled levers within an already corrupt mm-hmm. system. It's come when we put bodies out in the streets because basically the idea that stopping the system or saying that this system is not running in a correct way or exposing that, just just the, the eye of that, just the lens of that, being on video and things like that, that makes them act immediately. Uh yeah, legislation that's done behind the scenes, man. Uh, let's just say that hasn't been the most permanent, or I would say no. the most changing. Uh, so I mean, it, it is what it is, man. It's a small disagreement, but overall, we all agree. Uh, no, I on, agree with on, you on that. Who we're looking at, I agree who we're with you on that. But, but uh, the riots, yeah, I'm definitely the, the DC riots, show, did the I most to get civil rights. Okay, let's be real. The riots in DC did the most to get civil rights. Them. Indeed. But yeah, yeah, I'm gonna download this show. I didn't know about y'all. Now I do, so be definitely right, checking now. out y'all podcast, man. How'd you find <laughs> out about us, Raj? Naj. I just I was just checking blog talk and then I saw the name, so I said, Oh, okay, let me check these folks out. You mean to oh. tell me they ain't Bible thumpers? Let me check these folks out. So I definitely want to see what Well Kimberly and ourselves <laughs> actually both Kimberly and ourselves also have um, um, you groups on YouTube. I mean, on um, um, Facebook, and um, we also have a channel on YouTube too. Um, that's uh, Black Atheists and Agnostics United, and we have a channel there too. So, so you're welcome okay. to come and check us out too. And we also yeah, and do um, shows for oh, for BAAU um, every Wednesday and Sunday at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Um, Eastern. As a matter of fact, we just came from a show. Hmm. Putting that work in during quarantine. I love it. <laughs> Get that content oh, yeah. out there. <laughs> Let people hear some stuff of substance so people ain't listening to Charlemagne the God for their political education. Thank you for the work y'all do. Y'all have a good well, he's a, he's a starting point. He's a starting point. Exactly, but that's okay. And the show that we did today for BAAUI, I will be uploading it to YouTube after we're done with this show today, and then I'll post it in all of our groups. It'll be on my wall, the Black Free Thinkers page, the BAAUI um, public page, as well as People of Color Beyond Faith, and I'll make sure I tweet it out as well. So, you know, um, just just look for the Black Free Thinkers page, and ours is the one. You'll see a guy, and it looks he's standing up and he's walking, and I think he has a protest sign, and you see a big old fire in back behind him. And it was one of the pictures that were taken in Ferguson, and I just thought it was so profound that I've left it as that picture for that particular um, page for a long time. Or you can just look up Black Free Thinkers Kim, and you'll see it, because if you go to facebook.com slash 
blackfreethinkers.com. That's me. And the profile picture says unapologetically black. That is who I am. All right. Well, now you know how to find nice us. Yes, ma'am. It's all good. Okay. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> we have been talking all morning and all afternoon. So I think we're going to wind it down. We've been on for about an hour and a half now. But Sunday I'm going to do another show. So, again, you can find this show on Blog, Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher and a number of other places. So I just want to let you guys know how much I appreciate you. Thanks for joining us today, especially the new people. Welcome. Welcome to the party. We have graham crackers and lemonade over here on the dark side, okay? So, <laughs> again, <laughs> thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Naj, for joining us today. I hope those of you that are listening, I hope you're able to learn something from the show. Sunday, we'll be back, and we're going to let you have it. So, with that being said, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind, y'all. Have a good evening now. Talk to you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.